Please welcome, please welcome, welcome. This is another episode of the Defenders of Business Value podcast, a podcast where we talk about what makes a business valuable, learn the tips and tactics to increase your company's value that only veteran dealmakers know. And now here's your host, Ed Misogland. Today, I had the opportunity to visit with one of my favorite people, and that's Beth Beery. Beth is... I don't even know how to describe her without saying she just totally kicks butt. She is, she is one of those people that, that is in an industry where she has her fingers on the pulse of what's going on. She knows so many people and everyone talks to her and she's in for this episode, we're talking about turf. We're talking about the grass and topical topical treatments for it and everything related to turf. I love visiting with her because she, regardless of how much experience I might bring to my deal space, she just totally buries me when it comes to all of the recon that she has in her space. And together, I think we had um, such a good conversation and it had so much value to it. And I, I, I'm well into to 90 episodes of this podcast and I, I could only wish that each and every one had as much value as she and I brought today. So Beth is vice president of, of turf and, and ornamental with advanced turf solutions based out of here in Indianapolis and she's also, and you should be a subscriber too. She's also has her own podcast, um, ahead of the curb, and she is every bit and more the person you should probably be listening to too, if you're in this industry because she has such a wealth of knowledge. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Beth Beery. Beth Beery, welcome to the show. I am so excited to be here today, Ed. Well, I am excited to have you. You know, before you came on, I I did a probably a horrible job of in of kind of introducing you and what you what you've been, where you came from and where you are now, but uh I guess it would probably be best if it came from you. So, can you give just a brief overview on you? No, oh, just spent my entire life in the lawn care industry. Stopped okay. by just for a minute while I was in college because uh, I was working at the mall and I wanted my Friday and Saturday nights back. And so I, I started as a customer service rep and I was going to school to be a teacher and I went, I don't really like kids, Ed. And so that wasn't going to work out well for me. Does your kids so, know that you don't like kids? Yeah, my, they know that. They're well aware. Uh, but I, I do. I've uh, spent 16 years at Scott's Miracle Grow, eight years at Real Green Software, loving the technology stent. And now I'm at Advanced Turf Solutions and Fishers. Uh, and you, you also are a podcast host. Don't I do. That. Yes, I have a, a podcast on Turfs Up Radio called Ahead of the Curb. And we like to talk about technology, product technology. And it's a lot of fun. You've joined me on there before. I have. And I will have a link in the show notes. Um, when you say turf, what all does turf mean in your world? <sighs> There's about eight categories, but chemical turf care is the area I've been involved in the longest. So if you think about True Green or Chemlon, the folks that come out and fertilize your lawn, 
it would include that, but also landscape maintenance. So anybody that mows uh, the Drury Inn down the street or landscape design build, putting in a backyard kitchen, uh, snow and ice melt, irrigation, exterior pest control like mosquito. That's a big area that we focus on. Um, and then some actually go into, there's about a 30% mix of those of us in the green industry that actually go inside the home for interior pest control as well. I got it. So when, when we last visited, um, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes on in, in your industry and it's, and I don't think there, there is that level of activity, um, in all industry, you know, I, because I think you have your micro businesses that then you get a little bit bigger and, and the, the micros get, get eaten up a little bit by the, the midsize. And then you start turning into a bigger business. I guess what I'm looking for is I wanted to see, you know, what's the, over, kind of the state of the industry and the activity that's going on. Cause I know we're coming to the end of the season. People are, you know, a lot of activity will start happening here in anticipation of 24. So I'm just trying to, to kind of gauge, you know, cost capitals up. I'm just wondering where we're, where are we today in, in the industry? It's like nobody in the green industry understands that the cost of capital is up, Ed, because it's still a frenzied pace for um, acquisition and of those sub verticals in the green industry and in the turf industry, the ones that are garnering the most attention are those with the recurring revenue. So if I'm doing a backyard kitchen for you and I've got to go resell that $30,000 job each time, that's yeah. not as an attractive acquisition target as say someone with two to $5 million worth of recurring revenue that I know yeah. Um, is going to stay in the mix. And so there's our big events for the green industry are coming up in September and October. We'll have Elevate in Dallas and then Equip in Louisville. And it's fascinating at the at the host hotels just to look at all the private equity activity in the lobbies, uh, the, the coffee shops and the bars of the big players that are out there talking to these companies. And, and what are they talking about? I mean, when when because I know you've been privy to some of those conversations when when someone approaches you you know what and this is a question from you know down the list but you know what what are they opening with what are they are they just solely focused on buying revenue and contracts or what are they talking about well what do you think a real estate agent would say to you and jen if they stopped by your front door they are cold uh, calling what do you sure. think yeah, no, no, they're, 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 you know, are we interested in selling a house? I get it. Are you, but yeah. not even that they'll say, do you know what this house is worth? What do, or you, that, do you have right? any idea? You know, like they yeah. want you to start thinking about, because if you bought the house 20 years ago for 130,000 and some blessed, it, it's worth 375,000 today. Um, and so they want to start uh, having the conversation about, do you even realize what this asset is worth? And so, Last year at the show, uh, a buddy of mine, Rob Palmer from uh, Weed Pro, I, I bump into him and, and I said, hey, there's a lot of private equity guys here. And he goes, oh, well, my business is not for sale. But I've signed 12 NDAs this, this week just to talk yeah. about it. Um, by the way, he sold very successfully, not far after that. But imagine uh, 10 months ago, we're at a trade show and he's like, I had no intention of selling. 
but someone's knocking on the door with this pile of money. And many in the green industry, for one reason that you noted, the cost of capital feel like the market, maybe it's up here right now. So if I had any inkling, maybe I don't have, a, a lot of times there's a legacy handoff in the organization, but if my children or a business partner aren't interested in taking this over, I should really sit back and consider what this is worth and at least sign the NDAs and begin to understand what the process is like. But this is where I had reached out to you originally because these guys, these friends of mine, these uh, very astute business guys, they don't understand M&A. So they'll sign NDAs and even some preliminary um, letters of interest, if you will, not understanding what some of the downstream impacts of that are. And I would say in the green industry, there aren't any trusted resources to really guide those sellers through the process. It's the buyers, and these are the big private equity companies. And I'm not suggesting they're taking advantage of, but I can tell you, my friends and I, are not well versed in private equity and and how that all works. No, I I understand, I, and I do understand. I, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is is what is motivating the consolidation, or why is private equity chasing that? And That's a great question. And, and 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 so, you know, we see we see it. I I just it, it's not as clear, you know. Um, it it yeah it's just not as clear so i mean what what do you how do you theorize well, why why they're chasing it i would say um for the last 40 years in the industry there's really only been one big player for a while it was chemlon and then it was true green chemlon when they merged and it's been true green ever since and for until 2019 true green was essentially the only buyer So they were acquiring and they could pretty much name their price because if you wanted out of the business, my buddy Jerry Solon was going to be the one to buy it. And at whatever multiple they were paying at the time, and that depended on your geography and your retention. And they were the only player. In 2019, it really started to pick up from some of the bigger private equity companies. And White Oak put out a study in conjunction with Principium in uh, 2019, talking about how it was really unnatural that there was no number two lawn care company. So for a short while, well, 16 years, Scott's Lawn Service, of which I was uh, a founding member of that team, um, we were the number two, but a very distant number two, if you will. And then True Green acquired us. But I think these private equity companies think if they can consolidate in mass, you should be able to compete against True Green who really is considered the Walmart of the industry. Um, Depending on what city you're in, they do a fantastic job, but they're the great value brand, if you will. And these private equity companies think with the right amount of acquisition, we can really go after True Green and be the number two player. So do they really want to be number two or do they want number one to buy out number two, add some critical mass and then then basically build themselves as the target for number two? That oh. is, uh, that's a great question. So number yeah. one is owned by Clayton Dubier-Rice and they've owned them for a very long time. And I think they were spinning off enough profit. They're publicly traded. And I think they were spinning off enough profit at the time that it was worth keeping. So they had Hertz and Sally yeah. Beauty in their portfolio. But um, 
the word on the street is they're getting a little bit bored with True Green. And so it would mm. not surprise me for them to be spun off and um, maybe other, others acquired with it. So, so what makes, what makes a turf business, um, what makes it palatable, uh, you know, palatable from the standpoint of, of private equity? Because I'm certain everybody that's listening to this, whether they have 50,000 in, in revenue or 50 million, now they think private equity is, is, is their solution. So what, what is that avatar? Um, restate that question. Yeah. So if, if I'm, so for the listeners and, and they, you know, my listeners vary from, you know, your micro businesses to, to, to your small and lower middle market businesses. They're probably listening and we're, and you and I are sitting here going, yeah, there is a, there's an opportunity for private equity to, to pick you up. And even the, even the smallest guy is sitting there going, wow, you know, can you imagine if there's this pile of money that Beth just was talking about, can you fathom how much they're willing to pay for, you know, my, you know, $50,000 in revenue, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, right. and so, so I'm trying to figure out what, what is it? And I know you said it was recurring revenue, but is, but where is, where is, there's a threshold in size. There has sure, to be. A there is. And it's about it's 2 just million. A, I'd say it's two million is million. Yeah. Uh, for most of the private equity companies that I talk to, that's the minimum target that they're looking for. Two million in, in revenue or two million in EBITDA? Two million in revenue. Okay. Uh, I've yeah. seen a couple smaller ones acquired if strategically they fit into a geographic area where they're looking for a target to grow. So for a for a smaller outfits banding together and and you know building or you know that there should be i in fact i know that there will be a number of of turf businesses that come on the market in the next six months it always happens i'd be curious to to see what how um if someone could come along you know buy three or four of them bundle them together and then flip it into private equity and then that delta between what they paid and what private equity likely would pay mm -hmm. if they can if they can you know profit from that sale. I, I just, I just wonder, you know, now on the, uh, on making them targets, I mean, do the recurring revenue doesn't matter whether it's commercial or residential. I would say residential is more attractive right now. Basically it's tied to uh. the commercial real estate market. So there's so much volatility there right. and we're seeing constrained maintenance budgets even on those uh, commercial properties that are still viable. The big yeah. companies, Yellowstone, they're out trying to acquire smaller companies as well. But that created quite a hiccup in the commercial space, just the volatility of, of real estate. But what makes the companies most attractive, we're finding um, two, two companies that just do a fantastic job um, one is a good friend of mine, Mike Kravitsky at Grasshopper, and then uh, Rick Rittenauer at Custom Lawns. They were acquired by HCI Principal mm -hmm. within the last couple of months. HCI Principal is based in Washington, D.C., and they, they uh, state that they're a lower middle market private equity firm. 
they've never been in the uh, residential services space. So this is new to them. They've mm-hmm. got like um, aerospace. It's really an interesting portfolio about why they would pursue this. But the companies that they are targeting have very high residential retention. And so we're talking standouts in this area. Let's say the industry average is about 70% retention on residential accounts and the companies that they're acquiring are around 85 to 90% retention. Those companies also have lower service calls, so lower defect ratings, if you will. And um, they invest in people, they invest in programs and equipment. So it's, it's a much higher level. Then there's others that are going after really competing with True Green on the lower end. Like even if they have a 70% retention rate, you know, maybe they'll fit into the value portfolio. But uh, GTCR and HCI are the ones that are really going after the top tier companies. So when as we as as we talk about that, the the one thing that sticks out is does the um is turf care a disposable income expense you know what i mean and that that's my first thing and then there's it's interesting that you know some of some of my some of my neighbors are starting to retire and you know the first thing that went was turf care you know i can do Stop I, it no 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 i i what i'm what i'm saying is you you look at an aging population I, because my my industry research says you know what it's it turf care is about time it's not about your grass and that's that's the real that's the real thing for me is that or the real telling thing for me that I'm looking at you know you got I, I'm just wondering if there's a little bit of a hiccup with with the with the folks that from from the standpoint of, you know, you know, I got to tighten down because interest rates are high. My home equity loan is through the roof because it's on a variable rate. I I worry about that. And then you have your aging, you know, the those folks that move from, you know, the working population into a fixed income situation. So I'm curious that that was that was the point of that is, you know, is anybody reading the tea leaves saying, oh, man, we, we there may be a little bump, speed bump coming up here. No, well, Doesn't sound like it. <laughs> I would say if I go back to 2008, two things. One, if I go back to 2008, uh, lawn care is fairly recession proof. What we did find then at Scott's Lawn Service is that consumers would maybe buy the value program. They don't want to get kicked mm-hmm. out of the neighborhood. They don't want a letter from the HOA, <laughs> but they also aren't going to buy the deluxe program with nine treatments. And so a little bit of pullback. Um, Certainly those big design build companies that are doing the $50,000 pizza kitchens by your pool, those are starting to see a hit. Uh, Goalzilla, some of the big high-end outdoor um, companies are just now starting to see some of that. And even in chemical turf care, aeration overseeding, some of the big ticket items are seeing a little bit of a pullback right now. But if you go to um, stop by Costco or Home Depot or Lowe's ad and just look at it, what the cost of a bag of fertilizer is. And and I sell it wholesale, right? So yeah. um, you can't do your lawn less expensively than what you could call True Green or Lawn Pride to come do it in Indianapolis. And so, and that's really been a difference lately is that you can have it done 
for about the same price or less, and you don't have to store it. So I worked at Scott's Miracle Grow for 16 years. And when we first started the do it for you market, the big box stores were coming after Scott saying, we don't like this. You're going to cannibalize what we're selling in the big box stores with the do it for you um, business. And what we found is there were two segments of people, those who enjoy being out on the lawn and doing it themselves, even if it cost them $10 more, they enjoy a Sunday or Saturday afternoon doing it and knowing that they uh, reap the rewards of that. And then there are those who like never want to open a a bag of fertilizer and it's like water softener salt and it's too heavy. And, um, but I will say what, what piqued my interest in the way you position this is baby boomers have been a tremendous segment of this industry and they have been Mm -hmm. among the biggest spenders. And you're right. My uh, baby boomer friends are retiring in mass. And maybe they're constricting the budget or a lot of them are downsizing homes. They're moving to condos. And so that could have a downstream impact on it. Well, I don't know. As I, as it it took, you know, roughly five minutes to get the question out. I was, I was sitting there thinking that, you know, for me, it's, it's about, like I said, it's about time. Those, those of, those of us that are in the hammer down you know, period of your career. I don't want, I don't want to mess with this. I, 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 I haven't, I haven't yield yielded cutting my grass because you know, that's how I, I, I listen to my, my, uh, audio books, but as far as other turf care and stuff like that, I'm that that's not for me. And so I do believe that there's that time component and you are right. I, it was, um, I think I saw it was like sixty dollars for it, it. In fact, the bag was more expensive than my treatment. My treatment, yeah. I think, is fifty-seven, and I would have needed, I think, a bag and a half. So, I mean, you, you, but therein lies the problem. You needed a bag and a third, probably, right? and the next time you needed this, and now all of a sudden you're storing chemicals in the garage, and that's where most people finally come back to. Yeah, I think I'll just have them call and do it. Yeah, no, and, and it's it's been great that, but I I do I do wonder, and, and I, and I I share that, I I share the that sentiment only from the standpoint of I I fear, I fear for the the small business owner that that someone says says that to them on the buy I can't pay you because this is what's in the tea leaves and I think I think by us working through that. That's not really a problem, you know. If if there may be a short term hit cost of capital and and you're going to have attrition, but I don't think it's going to to be more than the thirty percent you had originally mentioned. I I just don't see that. So moving to deals, um, I know multiples are all all over depending on who the buyer is and and private equity especially. Um, are are you seeing? It seems as though there's a big gap, like the big gap from the micro to the midsize, you know, so the the target's there. And then from 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 the private equity up, it's it's you know, it's who's who can make the most attractive offer. And and again, highest price may not be the best offer and you know, all those all those kinds of things. So what from a value standpoint, what are you seeing in those in those little silos there? What's been fascinating to me is not that 
the guys that have sold the business didn't read the fine print, but when they talk about the multiples, three, I got three X revenue. Well, you got three X revenue, but 70% of it is a five-year hold back or it has other asterisks tied to it. So one to three X revenue, um, depending on how, how tenured the business is, how big it is, what geographic area it's in, what it, what's the competitive landscape. But where it gets yeah. interesting is how much of it gets paid out and how much of it gets rolled over. Um, and that's been a, a tremendous variable. Uh, and then there's some big commercial uh, landscape buyers that are paying EBITDA. So, uh, yeah. you know, 22 times EBITDA on some of the big companies and big cities has, has not been uncommon, but it's when you get into the, the fine print, which is what you're good at, that you start to uh, figure out, oh, okay, there, there was this much of a hold back and I've got to stay on as a manager. Cause some of these guys just want to cut and run. Like I'm done with this right. business. I want my money. Oh, well, I have to stay on for four years and the business has to achieve these benchmarks or um, I'm not going to get the three X. And it's interesting you say that because because earnouts and holdbacks were predominantly a, a way to bridge value gap, all right. And that and that has historically been the vehicle, the contingent payout. The funny thing these days, and and this is this is one of the 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 nuances of of, of doing deals is not only. I mean, it's not like you're getting a premium. That's just their mode of paying for it. So the holding period for the holdback or the earnout, I mean, it's not like it it's not like you're you've received a bucket of money, you know, and 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 you're able to deploy it, whether it's stock market or whatever. Literally, the performance of your business is paying for their acquisition. And that that to me <coughs> You know, especially the more sophisticated buyers, whether we're talking private equity or, or more of the corporate buyers, the bottom line is if if you know what you say, you know, and you say and you are going to be able to do what you say you're going to do, you shouldn't need a a vehicle that mitigates your risk that much. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. That's that to me is is what is one of the challenges in the turf space is that. I'm all about. Look, we have to do something from, you know, as as it, as it relates to attrition. You know, I, I get that. That if I come in and I lose, and for whatever reason you knew something that I didn't know, and I lose fifty percent of the revenue, there should be a value penalty for it. I get that. But as a just as a as a sole means to acquire, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. One of the one of the other. I think value, value things or value structure that should come into play is those those folks that have idle loans. Idle loans are, you know, those are assumable, and we're seeing more and more people using that. I mean, it's the cheapest money out there. I mean, it's three and a half percent thirty year money, and so, so anyway, I, I I share that only for for the listeners' benefit is that. You know, when you're looking at at different types of the structures, especially when you're talking the sale of of these kinds of contracts, 
you know, there's there. Okay. You, you may, there certainly needs to be enough down payment, you know, there, to demonstrate commitment to the deal there. You can get some conventional financing, SBA financing. You can get this, this, um, assumption of debt. And then, then you have, you know, how do you bridge the gap? I, again, I'm more of a value that earn out or hold back mitigates, you know, an unknown. Um, so anyway, those are, those are some of the things that I think we, that would benefit the, the turf folks. You were saying that they aren't versed in M&A. One of the things is that it, it is a, a matter of risk, but to, you know, to what's the like, I, I'll be curious to know what, if anybody has done a study on, did you get your earnout? All right. Did you get it? Um, you know, that's a that, different that's animal. That's a great question. Along the lines of the financing, I got to throw this in. I talked to a guy, I was probably in May, does the deal, thinks it's a great deal. And they were going to be the platform to add other uh, lawn and landscape companies to his platform. They were going to use his business name. This was in Florida. But they determined that the business was somewhat undercapitalized, Ed. And so in the fine print was part of your payout, the initial payout, is going to be used as a line of credit to grow the business. And I mean, he read it, but, you know, he thought he was going to be in control of that line of credit, too. So that was interesting.